Oh, that was great. That was fantastic. There's uh, just wonderful truth as we sing those songs, even to think about that, how wonderful it is that God loves us, how wonderful it is that the Saviour loves us and demonstrate that love for us by dying upon the cross. That is an incredible truth. I pray today that God's Spirit would actually dawn it upon our hearts in a fresh and a deep way. God loves us. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Great to see Hannah up here again. Hannah's multi-talented. She's on the violin one week and she's on the keyboard the next. So welcome to the team, Hannah. Thank you very much for blessing us too as you do that. We really appreciate that here. It's nearly an all-girls band. We'd like to see a few more guys up here perhaps with some hidden musical talent. So if there's any men out there or young fellas who've got a hidden talent, please don't hide it any longer. Come out and tell us all about it. We want to see you come up here as well and bless the congregation as well. As God uses all the gifts that he's given to us. Uh, to worship and to praise his uh, great name. Um, Our Papua New Guinea friends, uh, this is the last Sunday. You're off to Brisbane on Thursday, so thank you very much for blessing us for the last few weeks. We thought last Sunday was the last week, but with a few more days of work, so this this is the last one. So we pray God's blessing upon you as you travel to Brisbane, and may you find work there and uh, continue to find a good church as well to fellowship in as well. So thanks, guys, for doing that. And great work of uh, Rob to pick him up too, a bit of a drive there, Rob, so thanks very much for doing that. And blessing them uh, and us as well. Okay, uh, John chapter 8. We're still uh, working our way through John. Fantastic book. And um, today we're going to look at uh, sort of the whole chapter, but a a section in the middle of it. Uh, For those of you who had the experience of being a witness in court, uh, you would have had to have taken an oath if you stood there in the witness box and... uh, be, uh, to give evidence in a case. And you'd probably have to have said something like this. I swear by Almighty God that the evidence that I shall give will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Uh, as you can see, there's a real emphasis there on the truth in that oath that we take. If you have, ever have to stand in a witness box there, in that sense, there's a real uh, uh, central point there as they think about the truth. The truth is so important. The truth is so important. When the truth comes out... It's like it's a freeing and a liberating thing that's taken place when the truth is known. And uh, this is exactly where Jesus wants to take us today. He wants to take us to the truth that will set us free. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, let's open up to John chapter 8. And we'll read from verse uh, 31 through to verse 38. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do not know, and you, you do what you have heard from your father. Thank you, Father. We can open up the Bible today. Thank you, Lord, that your word is alive. And thank you today, Holy Spirit. You are right here amongst us. And uh, Lord, even as you affect and open up that truth that uh, God loves us, you also will open up the truth here today that Jesus is talking about, the truth that will set us free. Holy Spirit, we ask and pray now for your power to come 
and to give us, Lord, an ability to grasp this in a new and a deep way, in a liberating way, in a freeing way. The truth today, Lord, of your word that breaks the bondages of sin and shame and condemnation. Let that truth, I pray, uh, ring loud within our souls and let it do a great work of breaking those chains, I ask. And uh, we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Truth's a common theme through the book of John. When John announces the arrival of Jesus, he says that uh, Jesus comes with grace and truth. Jesus comes with grace and truth. And uh, towards the end of the book, when John's recording for us um, the trial of Jesus just before his crucifixion, he's uh, standing there before Pontius Pilate and Jesus says that he came to bear witness to the truth. That's what Jesus told uh, Pontius Pilate. And Pilate replied to Jesus at that time, he says, what is truth? What is truth? And I think that question of Pilate's still rings out loudly today. What is truth? People are looking for the truth and they're grasping for the truth. Everybody, I think, would like to know what the truth is, but at the same time, not everybody's willing to face up to the truth. Sorry. Uh, Face up to the truth. Today, we want to talk about the truth as Jesus brings it into his perspective for us here in this passage, and we're going to ask ourselves questions like this. What is the truth? What does the world think of truth? And how does the truth work in our lives? And just just how does the truth work? set us free, where Jesus says here, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So let's set the scene here for Jesus, where he's up to and what he's uh, doing. Um, It appears again that Jesus is in Jerusalem. Maybe again it's another festival or another uh, religious feast. They were quite popular back then and they were significant seasons or times of the year when they would come together. Jesus is in the temple. He's, uh, He's teaching the people about God. Jesus is presenting the truth about God and he's also teaching them about himself here as he works through this uh, passage, as he works through this discussion. Uh, We're also still in a period of what we call pushback or confrontation. Now, Jesus is not widely accepted or greatly followed. Uh, Predominantly, the Pharisees are arguing and disputing with Jesus in this confrontational period. They're actually disputing, arguing, and looking for any way they possibly can to uh, pick holes in what he's saying. And at the same time, they're plotting to kill Jesus here as well uh, through this period that Jesus is going through. Jesus also seems to be gathering, though, a number of believers who seem to be making all the right noises about following him. But as we go through this passage, or as we go through this chapter, we'll actually see that it unfolds that they are false believers at the end of the day. Interesting, that little first verse we said there, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, so there was a sense where they believed in what he uh, had to say, but they weren't true believers here as Jesus began to expose that. They probably liked the idea of eternal life that Jesus was offering, but they weren't really willing to follow him as a true disciple at that particular time. So what we have here is some extended discussion between Jesus, the Pharisees, and some false believing Jews. Jesus is telling them who he is right through this chapter, and they're not willing to accept it. They're actually rejecting it. Uh, In fact, they become quite deriding or abusive towards Jesus, and we'll see a verse of this later on. Uh, where they really are just giving him a fairly hard time over it. And all Jesus does is continue to share the truth with them and expose their hypocrisy or their false believing position here as he discusses um, with these people about the truth and the truth will set you free. So this is where we find Jesus here in John 8. And what we'll do is we'll centre on that passage that we just read there before and particularly uh, in verse 32 there where John 8.32 says this, And you'll know the truth 
and the truth will set you free. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truth. What an elusive word it is in this world today. It's a very hard word to pin down or a very difficult thing to define the way this world's dealing with truth today. What are, we, what are we referring to when we actually say the word truth? What does it mean? Truth comes from the word true. True. To be true is to say this is the reality of what actually took place. To be true is to say these are the facts. This is what took place. These are the indisputable facts of a certain event or a certain set of circumstances. When we say something is true, we are saying there is no second option to actually um, describe what has taken place. There's no second account that can be true also in this sense. This set of events or circumstances are described by this fact alone. In fact, if anybody says any other different version to what I'm saying, it won't be true. It could be exampled like this. You know, you may have witnessed an accident. It was a black Toyota hatchback. It went through a red light and it happened at 3.30pm. I mean, there's some real facts there. The car was black, it went through a red light, and the time is 3.30pm. Any other description other than that said, no, it wasn't black, and it wasn't 3.30, and it wasn't a red light, we would say, is not true, because they're not the facts. The facts are that it was those things in place. So it's the indisputable facts is what declares for us what is true, and then what is truth comes from that. Truth also is ultimately defined by God. God is the definition of truth. Psalm 119.160 says this, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. God is a speaking God. He speaks to us primarily through his word, the Bible. And what the Bible reveals to us is that the totality, the sum of his word, is true. All of God's word is true. Not just part of it. All of God's word is true. It's a real, actual account of how it is. We can see that uh, in that passage there. And God tells us through his word, he is truth. And because he's truth, he can't lie. Uh, Hebrews 6.18 So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Why is it impossible for God to lie? Because God is truth. I'm not possibly going to try and explain or defend an attribute of God, but that's exactly what it is. We just accept that about God. There's nothing about God that is false at all. There's nothing about God at all that could make him lie. It's impossible for God to lie. God is true and all he says and does is truth. So therefore, when we look at God, we get the highest definition of truth it possibly can be. What God says is true. What God does is true. What God plans is true. God cannot and will not say, do or plan anything that isn't true true. It's impossible for God to do that. If anything, conversely to that, if anything that is said or done doesn't line up with God, with what God says or does, then it isn't truth. If it doesn't line up with who God is and what he says and what he does, um, then we can say, okay, it isn't true. So this becomes the defining line of truth for us in this world where we live. God is truth and he is the measure of all truth. Truth really is vitally important for us. It's critically important for us. You see, what's implicit with truth is trust or belief. It's intrinsically locked in with truth 
and uh, what is true. It is trust and belief. And for communities to work together in harmony, there must be trust or belief for this community to work together as a, a harmonious and peaceful community. You see, if somebody's telling me the truth about something, I have no need to doubt what they are saying to me. If they're telling me the truth, there's no doubt in that at all. And then I take into account that version of events that they've said to me as true, and then I can very confidently make my choices and decisions from that set of events they've described to me in a true and an accurate way. Conversely, though, if they aren't telling me the truth, then I can't trust what they're saying. If somebody's not telling me a true, actual account of the events, I can't trust what they're saying. Or my mind is filled with doubt. And in that position, it's very hard to know how to make a decision or how to make a choice because I can't trust what the other person is saying to me at this particular time. So truth's really important because implicit with truth is trust and uh, belief. Think about truth in this world. What's happened to truth in this world? The shorter answer is that we have turned our backs on truth in the Garden of Eden at the beginning of time. That's the short answer of truth there. Adam and Eve were presented with a lie from Satan right back at the start of time and they chose to believe the lie instead of God. Basically, Satan said to them, Hey guys, God is holding out on you. He's got something really good for you and it's in there over that tree. Just eat from that tree over there and you'll become like God. Satan fed them this lie. He said, God is holding you out on something and it's just over there, grab from that tree and you'll become like God and you'll really know what it's like to be God. They believed that lie from Satan and then what happened is when they ate from that tree they discovered it was a disaster to believe that lie. As soon as they ate from that tree they felt guilty, they felt ashamed and they felt alienated from God. They believed the lie of Satan and uh, turned their backs upon truth. And ever since then, truth in this world has been up for grabs. It's been up for grabs. What's true for you may not be true for me. Objective truth, based on real facts, based on the actual thing that's taken place, has now become whatever. If it's true for you, that's okay. It's not true for me. I believe it's okay to rip off some people, they might say. I need to get get ahead in life. I've got goals that I want to meet, so I don't mind stitching up a few people, particularly if they're rich, because they're not going to miss a few extra dollars if I rip them off. It won't hurt them. What I'm doing is true for me, some will say. A bit like maybe the Robin Hood, robbing from the rich to give to the poor. He'll say, that's okay, that's true for me. It's not really a bad thing to have a fling on the side of my marriage. Not at all. He or she's getting a bit boring in life now. I need to actually get something a bit on the side just to sort of keep life interesting. I'm totally okay with that, someone might say. That's true for me. That's what the world might say. I believe it's okay to abort babies, some might say. They're not really a baby until they're born. It's not until they take that first breath can we say that it's a human being, that it's now taken that first breath. And anyway, it's my life, it's my choice, and I'll do what I like with my body. If I want to abort this baby, it's true for me. And if you don't think that's true for you, well, that's all right. You do what's true for you. So you get to see this picture here of what the world's done with truth. It's lost all its objectivity. There's nothing it builds itself upon or bases itself upon. If it's true for you, it's okay. If it's not true for you, that's okay. You do what's true for you. True becomes this elusive thing that we can't sort of pin down. We can't capture it. We can't sort of hold it. And with no basis of truth or with no object of reality, of how, of this, um, every person then begins to decide what's best for them. What's best for them. 
And with that comes this whole multitude of so-called truths. A whole number of things now they think are true. Ten people can look at the same situation and then come up with completely ten different, completely, uh, different versions. And then they're going to say, well, they're all true. I've looked at it from all these ways, and they might come up with something with totally different ways of looking at it and say, no, that's true, that's true, that's true. Come up with all these multiple, multiple truths. But they can't all be true. There's no, they've got to lock back into something that's objective and something that's real and something that's solid. Only one set of facts can be true. The opposite to true or truth is a lie. When we don't tell the truth, we are lying and not telling the facts as they really are. There can only be one truth. If it's not the truth, then it must be a lie. Sin is the opposite to truth. To lie is to totally contradict God and the truth that he represents. Truth, uh, sorry, um, the opposite of truth then is this lie which contradicts God. And lying is about deception. It's about trying to deceive When you or I lie, we're actually trying to deceive someone else by getting them to believe something that isn't true. So with this untruth, with lying, comes this deception. We're trying to deceive people. And the world we live in again is awash with lies because of the way they've dealt with truth. Think about the court case of what we said before we take that oath. We go through hours and hours and hours of people giving evidence about how certain events took place. And the whole point of that talking for hours and hours and hours is to cut through all the lies so we can actually get to the truth of what really took place, what was, what was the real events, what really actually happened. Did you break in and steal those goods? Just please tell us the truth. Why do, have to, why do we have to go through a court case of hours and hours and hours? Can you imagine if nobody told lies, if everybody told the truth, we probably wouldn't need a court system, would we? If people just come out and just owned up to what they did right off the bat, right up front, we wouldn't need a court system. And think of some of those court trials that have gone for weeks and weeks and months and months in those high and supreme courts. It's amazing what's happened here to truth. Lying and deception. comes from one place. It comes from a sinful heart that is under the influence of Satan. And that's what Jesus refers to here in verse 44. He says this, You are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and a father of lies. And Jesus is using some pretty strong language here, but he's actually just describing these Jews that he's talking to at the time. Um, And he's just being upfront with them. And really what Jesus is saying is this about lying and deception. Satan deals in lies. That's all he knows. That's the only language that Satan knows. When he speaks, he speaks his native uh, language, which is just lies. He can do nothing else except lie. And when you're not under the influence of Jesus, you are under the influence of Satan, whether you know it or not. Big call that Jesus makes there, but it's the truth. It's a very subtle influence of how Satan works in lies, but when we're not... Uh, under the influence of Christ, we are under the influence of Satan. And this is exactly what happens when the gospel hasn't transformed our hearts. We fall for this deception. We are taken captive, as it were, by the lies that Satan feeds into our minds and we live in a deception. We actually become slaves to these sinful lies and sinful ways. 
Jesus says there in verse 34. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And that's when the Jews answered there, well, hang on, who do you, who's, who do you think? We're not slaves. And Jesus says, hey, if you're under sin, you're a slave to that sin. Somebody who believes the lie that the biggest thrill in life is having more and more possessions, gathering more and more toys, gathering more and more goods, will eventually become enslaved to that lifestyle. That's just what happens. It becomes a trap that they do enjoy to a level. They get enjoyment out of gathering all these possessions and gathering all these toys. But then they feel like their life is wrapped up and bound up in that because they need more and more of the stuff to keep them feel, uh, making themselves feel fulfilled or satisfied. So it becomes a bind. It becomes something that traps them. And they find it's really hard for them to break out of that. They get caught up in that lifestyle. They've believed a lie that life is consisting in just accumulating stuff. And now all of a sudden they find themselves bound to it and it's slaves to it. This becomes the result of turning away from the truth. The truth that is found in God our Creator and who gives us life and believing a lie. It just becomes a disaster. We become hopelessly deceived and enslaved to a false life. We need to be set free from this enslavement. We need to be set free from the lies that have infiltrated our minds and actually begun to take over our lives. And this is exactly what Jesus is talking about here in this passage. He wants to give them the truth, the truth that will set them free from these lies. Jesus, as the embodiment of truth, has come to set us free from the enslavement of sin and from the enslavement of the lies of this world and the lies of Satan that have been fed into us. Jesus brings this truth into our lives and he says it here like three times in this chapter alone. Verse 12 in this chapter he says that again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Jesus is saying, my life, my truth is the light. Follow me. Verse 32, we already read it. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is what Jesus is coming to do. And verse 36, so if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Jesus is bringing freeing truth to break the lies and to cut through the deception and to set us free. And this whole idea of being set free here by Jesus comes from the context of knowing the truth. If you know the truth, what the objective truth is, the real facts of the event, you can then discern what's a lie and what's true. So how does this setting free by the truth look? How does it look here when Jesus says, um, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free? Jesus announces it somewhat there in verse 12 where he says, I am the light of the world. Lies and falseness have, as it were, darkened the world that we live in when it comes to the truth. It's put a mist or a fog so we can't see clearly the truth in this world. That's what lies and falseness do. If you, um, if you happen to walk into my shed at the moment in a dark night, you would probably come out with bruised legs and maybe a few grazed uh, knees because uh, my shed is full of all sorts of rubbish on the floor and in the dark you wouldn't see that rubbish. But if I turn the lights on, all of a sudden that light would expose all of that rubbish on the floor of my shed that my wife keeps telling me to clean up so she can safely navigate through the shed. That's exactly what the light does. It exposes. I'm getting a few other smiles out of it because a few other sheds may be looking a bit like mine as well. Sounds like Jess could be the same as mine. But this is what the light does. The light comes and exposes the dangers. The light comes and exposes the pitfalls and the traps. 
And this is what the truth of Jesus Christ does. It, it, it exposes the deceptions and the lies of Satan and this world where we live and what they'll promise for us in life. But part of this exposing, actually, will cause us discomfort in our lives when this truth comes in. Have you ever heard the saying, the truth hurts? The truth hurts. There's a, there's a certain amount of discomfort that comes with truth. What's happening here is, that, is what we are relying on or building our lives on, which is probably lies or falseness, when the truth comes in, it begins to destabilise what we've been building our lives upon. And when this happens, it begins to reveal weaknesses or deficiencies that we have in our lives. This is uncomfortable for us when the truth comes in. If I'm using pornography to get a kick out of life and believing the lies of Satan that it's alright to use a bit of pornography because it's really easy and then it just go click, click, click and I'm in. If I'm thinking like that, what will probably happen when the truth of the gospel comes to set me free from that enslavement of pornography is that I'll feel uncomfortable initially. I'll feel like I've been found out. I'll feel like I've actually been exposed and I've been caught out. And the first revealing of that truth will probably produce some guilt and shame. That's how the truth works initially as a result. Let's look at the reactions of some of these guys here when Jesus began to speak the truth to them. In verse 48, the Jews answered him after Jesus had given a bit of truth to them. The Jews answered him and said, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? So here's the Son of God. They're saying, You're demon-possessed, Jesus. Actually, you're, you're a Samaritan. Now you might think, Well, what's wrong with a Samaritan? Um, they were the lowest of the low as far as the Jews were concerned. They might as well say, Jesus, you're just a dog. You're just a dog, Jesus. They're actually abusing him. They're feeling really uncomfortable about the truth that Jesus is actually beginning to shed into their life and to expose them with. If we went back to the start of this chapter, we see there there's a woman who's caught in the act of adultery and a bunch of religious people bring her to Jesus. And they say to him, hey Jesus, what are you going to do about this girl, this lady? She's been caught in the act of adultery and the law says we need to stone her, Jesus. What are you going to do here, Jesus? Jesus replies very calmly and very rationally. He says this, you who are without sin can be the first one to throw a stone at this lady. And if you read back there early on, what you would see is one by one, these men actually put their stones down and they walk away. What happened was Jesus exposed their own sin and their own false lives uh, by his truth. He said, you are coming to victimise and pick on this uh, lady and uh, who are you to throw stones? So Jesus used the truth and they felt very uncomfortable about that. This is very often the way the gospel works in our lives. First, the word of God wounds us. It makes us uncomfortable when we hear the truth. It hurts us, as the saying says. The truth will come and it will convict our conscience and expose the things that we've been trying to hide in our lives, trying to put away in dark corners so someone would never see it. It's just between me and myself. The gospel comes in and exposes that. And when the Holy Spirit does this work of wounding, it's actually a work of grace. It really is a work of the loving grace of God to come in and to lovingly just expose these things we've been trying to hide and not bring out in the open. It's a loving work of God who shines this truth into our lives and then exposes us. But after we've been wounded by God's word, 
it becomes a word that brings healing to our souls. God doesn't just leave us sort of bleeding and festering over here on the side of the room. Yes, God will wound us with his truth. So we begin to actually own up to this truth in our lives. And then he'll heal us. Then the truth of the gospel comes in and it speaks peace and health and strength and heals where our souls have been mortally damaged by sin. And this is precisely what Jesus means here in verse 32. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This truth will come. It may wound you initially, but then it will break these chains and it will actually heal you, restore you. How does it look and how does it work? Satan in this world says, uh, says this, uh, for you to really enjoy life and make it big time in this world, here's what you need to do. You need to have this professional career. You need to drive this flashy car. You need to wear these designer clothes. You need to be seen eating these glamorous restaurants. You need to be hanging out with these really cool people. And you need to have as many likes as you possibly can get on Instagram, Snapchat and Facebook. If you can actually hit all those points in life, uh, you will be making in life and you'll be cruising through life. That's where life is found, in all those um, places. What do you discover if you go after that? You actually discover you become enslaved to these things, to these attitudes, these images and these expectations. We become sort of their servants, serving them. They become taskmasters over us. They try and keep delivering things, what they promise, but they can't deliver what they promise. They try and promise us life in its fullness by clamouring after all those things, but we sort of get mere shadows. You discover these things don't deliver, these things don't uphold me, these things don't fulfil me, these things don't satisfy me. Jesus now comes along with his truth and he sets us free from this enslavement to these things by what he says. And here's a few instances of what Jesus has said and what the Bible tells us. Jesus says in verse 12, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's freeing truth. I live in a dark world. Jesus says, I'm the light. Follow me, and you will not walk in darkness. Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm enslaved to the things of this world. I'm enslaved to my own corrupted desires. And it feels like I can never get where I want to go to. It's never satisfying, never fulfilling, and I feel totally burnt out. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, all who are labour and are heavy laden. Isaiah 26.3 You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. This is freeing truth. A world that we live in today is so complex and so filled with anxiety and busyness. Jesus comes with this incredible truth from God's word. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. This is what the Spirit of God does. He takes these truths and he works them deep down within our souls. And we begin to discover just how gloriously freeing the gospel is. We begin to discover how incredibly freeing that God is as he works this truth in our heart and it cuts through all the lies and the deception of this world. And what do we experience from that? We experience that I'm no longer striving to compete in this world. I don't really care how many likes I get on Facebook. 
I don't really care if I'm not eating in the restaurants where people think I should be eating or driving the sort of cars that people think I should be driving. I'm not enslaved to those attitudes or those expectations. I'm actually freed from those expectations. Those chains have been broken. I have nothing to worry about. So where do we find this truth that sets us free? Well, Jesus tells us there in verses 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Jesus says, if you are truly a disciple of mine, if you are truly following me, and you abide in my word, it will produce this. It will produce liberty, and it will produce freedom. If you live in my word, following my teachings, trusting in my life, you will experience liberty and freedom to live for God in the fullness of life. Nothing like this world will offer you. In fact, it will be countercultural to what this world will offer you. But Jesus says, if you choose that path, you choose freedom. And this is the key to freedom. This is the key to everlasting, eternal freedom that cuts through the lives of this, of, uh, this world we live in. Jesus sets us free by his death on the cross as that truth is unveiled to us. And then Jesus' teaching or his word continues. It's a continuous action continuing to set us free from the grip of this world as we apply that truth into our lives. The gospel of truth is what we abide in. It's this continuous act. The word abide there is not a once-off um, coming to it. It's like a continual coming to it. It's a continuous act of letting the light of the Bible stream into our lives and allowing the Holy Spirit to bring that truth alive in our hearts. And this word of God, this truth of God, as it does, totally, completely shatters and breaks the chains of sin and bondage in our lives. It frees us. It frees us. And it's a supernatural act. It's something that God alone does, and he does it through his word and by his spirit. We come to this truth, and it's like a well of pure water on a sweltering hot day. We come to this crystal clear, beautiful, pure spring water on a sweltering hot day, and we just drink and we drink and we drink from that well, and we feel refreshed. We, we feel revitalized. And it's the same when we come and we drink from God's word. And when that truth comes and permeates through our hearts and through our minds, it's amazing the power that it has that it just cuts through the heaviest, hardest, strongest chains that Satan or this world has placed upon us in burdening us. It breaks those chains and it frees us and it liberates us. And what do we see when we begin to experience that? We see a glorious Jesus Christ who died to set us free so that we could experience that liberty and that freedom through that truth. This is the truth that sets us free. It's the truth that God has given to us. And God has freely given to us in this word. It's a truth that is filled with liberty and it's a truth that is filled with freedom. As we think about that today, think about this and ask yourselves this. Where are you living? Where are you living today? Where are you living as far as truth is concerned? Are you still enslaved to the lies of this world? Are you still held down and, as it were, chained up by the ways of this world and by the ways of Satan? Maybe in subtle ways. 
Are you still serving him as a deceptive taskmaster? Because that's what he is. He promises big time and delivers nothing but chains and bondage. Or have you allowed Jesus to set you free and you're abiding in that truth of the gospel and experiencing his grace, liberating life? The truth that comes and brings that liberty. You need to ask yourself that today. Where am I at? What am I experiencing? Am I allowing, even if we're a believer, am I allowing the the lies of this world to creep back into my life and to speak into my life and actually begin to put those chains back over me again? Am I coming back to the well of God's word and drinking that fresh, pure truth and it's breaking those chains and not allowing them to be established in our lives? I read this the other day as I was just finishing up reading the book of Revelation. I read this in chapter 19 as I uh, saw this glorious picture of our great Saviour. And it says this here in Revelation 19.11. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. Faithful and True. It just rings completely throughout the scriptures. He's faithful and he's true. And you can trust your life in him. Because he breaks every chain and every bondage. And he sets us free. Father, thank you. Thank you for the truth that sets us free. God, this is an absolute gift that we have from you. We have, as it were, the pages of Scripture that is filled with freedom, that is filled with promises, Lord, filled with your truth. If we can just allow it to get deep down into our souls, Lord, we can begin to experience that as your, as your Spirit works with that Word and breaks these chains. God, in our own strength, these chains seem unbreakable. They seem like they will never fall off. They will never come away from us. We seem like we are just dragging this around and I cannot get free of this stuff that has just enslaved me, trapped me, paralysed me in my mind. Lord, we come to your word. We come to you as the truth that stands with that word and behind that word. And Lord, your word amazingly comes and it breaks those chains. It removes those bondages. It sets us free from slavery to this world and to the sinfulness of our own lives. God, thank you for that freedom. Help us today, Lord. Please help us. Because initially the truth can often cause discomfort and cause wounding in our lives. But it's a good wounding, it's a good discomfort. It's like a surgeon, Lord, who's cleaning out a wound so he can get to the pure matter of it so we can treat it effectively. Father, help us to work through that wounding and discomfortable, this uncomfortable stage with that discomfort that comes with it. And I pray, Lord, that we would experience in that healing uh, element of your word that comes and just breathes fresh life into our souls. Father, today help us to think and meditate upon that truth. We want to be a church, Lord, today that is expressing this truth into the community. Expressing the truth, Lord, into this city and this greater shepherding community where we live in, Father. These people who are around us, who, Lord, are enslaved to this world. They're enslaved to the deception of the enemy. Help us to be people, Lord, who effectively and sensitively and lovingly, Lord, communicate that truth. And may it be demonstrated and expressed out through our lives. That the truth really does get traction within our hearts and our lives. And, Lord, it produces real change. Father, I ask and I pray that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Any questions? Any reflections on that? Amen. Amen. Good, that's a good reflection. Thanks, Uh, Neville.
Rob. Good, thanks. What's really helped me understand is that that is objective, subjective truth. So yep. Tom likes dull delicious apples, and I like red delicious apples. They're both true, yep. but it's subjective. You're the subject, I'm the subject. But God made apples. Yep. That's, that's the truth. They're not oranges, they're apples. Yep. So in the spiritual sense, God made us for a relationship with Him. But the lie is that we don't need God. Yep. Yeah, you know, you're right. I mean, it's, it's the objective is what we're dealing with there. Um, yeah, it goes so many different ways, and look, I'm, you know, we can bring it up again. It, it'll, it'll be, you know, something that'll be within our culture over the next um, probably months, years. It'll be, it'll be the, the same-sex marriage debate. You know, there's got to be some objective truth there that actually cuts through the lies and cuts through the deception and cuts through all the rhetoric and the arguments that are around that. And the objective truth is that God has made us male and female. You, you just can't escape from that. This world will come in and this world will say all sorts of other things. You know? It doesn't matter. You can love whoever you like and you get married to whoever you like. So there's, that's something objective there. No, no, this is objective. Good point, Rob. Hayden. It's a good news book, but the good news only becomes really, really good news when you know the bad news. And the bad news is the state of who we are, so you're right. I mean, and we'll get into it in another couple of chapters' time when Jesus gives some teaching about the Holy Spirit there, but that's the initial work of the Holy Spirit in the conversion process is, is conviction. Um, when Peter preached the sermon on the day of Pentecost, um, everybody was struck. Uh, there's something wrong. What must I do to be saved? They just felt a need. They felt, I'm actually in a desperate position, so they felt really uncomfortable. So then Peter says, ha, ah, just repent and believe. So, I mean, there is an element here. Good, a bad news needs to come before the good news. We can overdo that, though. We just need to be careful on, on, the, on the bad news side of things. Okay, thanks, guys. Um, we'll just finish off with a song, Sam. If you want to come lead us one of those, that'll be great. Again, I'd love to catch up with anybody who would uh, want some prayer or discussion.